Today's episode of the Republic of Football is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. Week 8 is in the books. I'm your host, Shahan J. Rajah, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of my work on texasfootball.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Rajah. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks so much again for joining us. Like I said, week eight is in the books, and we got to start with a couple of not-so-great games. TCU hosts Oklahoma, and for a half, it looks like maybe they found something. Really for, really for a quarter. Uh, in between the second and third quarter, really over the course of that halftime and into the third quarter, TCU looked like they caught lightning in a bottle. They went down 28-7 to against Oklahoma in Fort Worth, and it didn't look like they had a whole ton of answers on either side of the ball, really. The only seven points came on a Kevontae Turpin 99-yard touchdown return on a kickoff. So other than that, they really didn't get anything consistent going. But then Sonny Cumbie does what everybody has kind of been asking him to do, and he puts Michael Collins in the game, the backup quarterback, replacing Sean Robinson. And Collins wasn't perfect, and really down the stretch he wasn't great, but we'll, we'll get to why maybe in a second. But Michael Collins did what TCU needed him to do. He went out there, he didn't turn over the football, he didn't make mistakes, he threw the ball downfield enough that the defense had to respect the passing game, which is something they haven't had to do terribly consistently with Sean Robinson under center. He didn't turn over the ball, as we mentioned. And you just saw that the TCU offense all of a sudden had some life. He had a breakaway touchdown to Kevontae Turpin. That was more really him finding uh, him on a comeback route that Turpin just turned up field and, and took it for a touchdown. That's just the sort of play that Kevontae Turpin can do. Later on, though, we found Jalen Rager for a 33-yard touchdown. That was a beautiful throw, a beautiful fade to the corner of the end zone. He put it right where only Rager could get it. And those are the kind of passes that Robinson can make. And he can make better than Collins, but he can't do it consistently. He can't put it in a spot where only his receiver can get it. He's, not, he's thro overthrowing his receivers a whole ton. It, it's really almost getting frustrating to watch with Robinson. In his last five games before getting benched today, uh, in the second quarter against Oklahoma, Robinson had turned the ball over 12 times. And that's unacceptable. I mean, that, that's really just unacceptable. You, you can't turn the ball over 12 times and expect to win football games. Because TCU has one of the best defenses in the country, but they've been on the field so much that they're really starting to wear down. Gary Patterson talked to us after the game extensively about all the issues that were happening on TCU's defense. You know, he, he very explicitly mentioned all the injuries in the secondary. Uh, Jeff Gladney apparently went down for a stretch during this game. Julius Lewis went down for a stretch. Uh, Nico Small was already out for the game, you know, the starting safety. Uh, the other starting safety went down, too, in his games. He was out heading into this game, too. So they actually had Garrett Wallow, the starting middle linebacker. They had him moving back and playing strong safety for, for long stretches of the game, and that's not his natural role. And on top of that, he got hurt, too. So this defense is starting to wear down just because of how much they're being relied on. And while the talent is, I'd say, maybe comparable to last season's defense, the depth isn't. Uh, they really lost a ton of depth pieces. They really lost a ton of guys who they 
felt good about and two were experienced pieces, and they're having to replace those guys with underclassmen. Like, uh, Trevon Morig Woodard got the start today at safety. LeKendrick Van Zant got plenty of run today at safety. Uh, Vernon Scott and Markel Simmons are guys who have played a decent amount before, but, you know, they weren't guys who were expected to be relied on at this point in the season. But all these injuries are starting to happen, especially in the secondary, and TCU doesn't have a whole ton of options immediately available. So you need something from that offense. You really need to create some stuff on offense. And Michael Collins actually led TCU on a 17-0 run to end the first half. He actually led another uh, field goal drive in the second in the, the second half in the third quarter. And unfortunately, at that point, uh, he actually has this great stiff arm move, just absolutely pushes Bookie Radley Hiles in Oklahoma into oblivion. But he slides down onto the sideline and slides and skins his hand, his throwing hand on this mat, uh, and it swelled just tremendously. And from that point on, his accuracy just wasn't quite the same. Because heading into that, he had actually completed five of six passes for 99 yards and two touchdowns. From that point on, he went to only two of 11 for 43 yards and an interception. So, and, and 47 yards actually came on one throw. So his accuracy suffered tremendously after he suffered that hand injury. And look, those are the sort of things that you have to play through when you play at this level of college football. But it was obvious that it affected him. It was obvious that it affected his accuracy, his poise. And ultimately, you know, obviously I don't think TC would have won the ballgame regardless, but it kind of killed their momentum down the stretch when Collins wasn't able to move the ball quite as effectively. But you are able to see just how effective having a quarterback that you can trust throw ball, the ball downfield, how much that means to an offense. Because not only did it open up the passing game, it opened up the running game too. Um, you know, we didn't get to see a ton of TCU's running backs consistently against Oklahoma because Oklahoma actually did a fantastic job of stopping the run. You, you really did see some of the new wrinkles that Ruffin McNeil put in there and the way that he was able to simplify things so that his roster could understand it a little bit better. But Shea broke off for a couple of mid-tier runs. Darius Anderson had a couple bigger runs. And actually Collins, too. They used him quite a bit in the quarterback run game. And that helped open the field up for everybody else as well. TCU right now, they're in a tough spot because they're three and four for the first time since the 2013 season. And that season they finished four and eight. Obviously, I don't think that they're going to finish four and eight this year. It would be really, really shocking for them to finish four and eight this upcoming season. But at the same time, I don't think that you can say that there are a ton of winnable games left on the schedule. There are four games that they'll be favored in. They play against Baylor, they play against Oklahoma State, they play against Kansas State, and they play against Kansas, if I have that right. And they'll be favored in every one of those games heading forward. But it's not going to get a whole lot easier. And TCU, again, just to get to six, they're at three and four right now. They need three of those games to turn into wins to have a shot to make a bowl game. And they're lucky, too, that they played Iowa State early enough in the year that Iowa State hadn't yet turned to Brock Purdy. Because if they turn to Brock Purdy, then maybe this game looks a whole lot different, and the season looks a whole lot different than the 17-14 to win that TC was able to get against Iowa State when they were starting Zeb Noland. A lot of things surrounding this TC program right now, and again, they'll be fine. Once everybody's healthy, they'll be fine. Obviously, next year, there's a whole ton of talented players coming in. Justin Rogers, the, the star quarterback, will be healthy. Max Duggan, a four-star commit, will be here and on campus and ready to play. So you'll have a few more options than you did maybe this year at quarterback, but 
Gary Patterson was very adamant after the game that he had no interest in opening a, quarter, uh, a quarterback controversy. At the, same at the same time, I think that we can all see what happened against Oklahoma today. And, I mean, at a certain level, you just have to, you just have to look at him at least, right? You at least have to think about starting him because he's played, during that stretch at least, a lot better than we've seen Robinson play consistently this season. So it'll be interesting to see what exactly they do there. I mean, I doubt Patterson's going to name a starting quarterback before the game against Kansas next week. But Kansas would be a good opportunity for Collins to get a little bit more comfortable get a little bit more experience under his belt and potentially pick up his first win as a starting quarterback. Moving on, uh, UNT. Heading into this year, we really had a lot of faith in them, right? And they beat SMU. They kill SMU. They kill Arkansas. They kill really everybody on their schedule until they get to Conference USA conference play. And obviously in the opener, they lose 29-27 to against Louisiana Tech. Now they go on the road against UAB, in my opinion, the team that's probably going to now win Conference USA West. And they take another 21-10 lead. They have a lead at the half, a multiple touchdown lead. You can't waste those leads. And, you know, UNT is an offense-heavy team. You know, Mason finds the face of this team, and he had a great game with over 330 passing yards. But the offense was really the issue when you headed into the second half. They were actually held scoreless in the second half. And UAB has arguably the best defense in Conference USA, but they were held scoreless in the second half. They were held to only 21 points by the end of the game, whereas uh, UAB was able to score 19 points in the second half. And... You know, it's easy to blame the defense for that, that they weren't able to get them off the field, whatever. The defense played fine. I mean, really, if, if UNT is able to have really one or two sustained drives early in the second half, this game is over. I, I mean, they were able to have those drives in the last two drives of the fourth quarter, but that's too late. UNT actually had a chance where they were driving down the field and they were actually within the 10-yard line. So offensive coordinator Graham Harrell calls a draw, a quarterback draw, up, up the left sideline. And Mason Fine takes it. He has space. He goes within the five-yard line, a dangerous play, and then Fine fumbles it, actually, at the four-yard line. Within the four-yard line, just four yards from, your, from the end zone. You know, you can score this uh, touchdown. You can convert the two-point conversion. You know, and you would have to do that because 29-21 was the final. It was an eight-point game. But unfortunately... They weren't able to do that. And actually, I'm mistaken. It was 26-21 to 21 at the time. So if you score that touchdown, you go up, you have breathing room, you just have to get a stop, and then you win the football game. But unfortunately, UNT makes just a couple costly mistakes down on, the goal, uh, down on the goal line. And then on the next drive, too, they have a shot to come back and try to score a touchdown and a two-point conversion, and they can't get a first down within the 30-yard line. So what is this UNT team? You know, we kind of thought that they were going to be a Conference USA title contender, and it really hasn't happened. Um, you know, before this game, they were still probably one of the favorites to make the Conference USA title game, but now UAB is in a much better spot than UNT is because UNT is 2-2 two and two in conference. UAB is a perfect 4-0. There's just not a whole lot of games remaining to work your way back into it, and you need UAB to lose two games and really lose three games because they're going to have the tiebreaker over you as well. I don't think that we see a whole bunch of losses left on UAB's schedule. So all of a sudden, this 
fantastic, fantastic UNT story. It doesn't look quite as attractive. It doesn't look quite as good as it did a few weeks ago. Again, Mason Fine was tremendous. He finishes with over 330 passing yards. He finishes with three touchdowns. Other than that fumble, he was impeccable on the day. It's really the offensive line that, that needs to take a step forward because he was running for his life multiple times. And, and UAB is a fantastic defensive front. That's what they're known for. But you can't constantly have your quarterback running away from pressure because you can't block, especially the, the left side of that line. I mean, they just kept getting beats. Every single play, it seems like Mason Fine had to run off towards the right sideline or he had to step up in the pocket or he had to run up the middle because there were just no options. You can't win football games like that. I don't care how good your quarterback is. I don't care how good your skill position players are. You see it in the running game even because the running game really struggles to get going. It, it really struggles to get going. And unfortunately, when your run game struggles to get going, it's an indicator that your offensive line isn't doing a good enough job of clearing pathways for them. They finished with only 64 yards against UAB on 23 carries. That's not good enough. And it's not just a sack issue either. DeAndre Torrey had 13 carries for 35 yards. That's less than three yards per carry. That's not going to do it against a team that's as good as UAB is. So now UNT is 6-2. and two. Again, they made a bowl game. They, they've already qualified for a bowl game. They can still go and have their first 10-win season in a very long time. And the first 10-win season since joining Conference USA. There's still plenty to play for, and they actually still haven't won a bowl game under Seth Luttrell. So coming into the year, winning their bowl game was the biggest priority that UNC had, but I know that they wanted more. I, I know that they wanted more, and they told us that they wanted more. It's gonna take a little bit of help for them to be able to get there, but the season's not over, but UNC really has to get these issues worked out, especially those issues on the offensive line, and especially the issues when it comes to finishing games. But I don't want it to be all negative on this show. I do want to move to Houston, where it took a little while for Houston's defense to really get things going against Navy. Eventually, they, they figured it out, and they, they managed to hold Navy's offense down. But I don't think we've talked enough about De'Ara King on this podcast. De'Ara King at Houston has just been absolutely tremendous. It, just absolutely tremendous. And against Navy, he put forth one of his best performances, in my opinion. He completed 25 of 38 passes for 413 yards, three touchdowns, added another 56 yards and another touchdown on the ground. I mean, these are crazy numbers. These are, these are 469 yards and four touchdowns against a conference opponent. And that's just a taste of what Derek King's been doing all year long. I, I mean, again, coming into this game, he had 20 passing touchdowns, eight rush touchdowns, and only three interceptions. That's crazy. I mean, th those are Heisman-level numbers. And remember, even last year, Derrick King was not the established starting quarterback. Most expected that Kyle Allen was going to hold on to that job. And, and Kyle Allen's gone now, and, and King has really taken over that position. And he's doing a fantastic job. And the way that Houston's able to use him in that offense is so effective because He's able to spread the ball out. He's really good at finding different guys in space and with the opportunity to make plays after the catch. But he's still mobile enough that they can use him as a weapon with it, just his legs alone. And it's, it's rare to have a quarterback that's able to do both of those things at such a high level. 
King is one of those players. And look, Mason Fine at this moment is probably the best quarterback in Texas. But De'Ara King is coming for that throne fast. And look, after this win today, Houston is 6-1. and one. And, and they're a quiet 6-1, and one, it feels like, right? Like, I know that they, they've gone through, they've won a bunch of games. Their one loss was to Texas Tech in that crazy 63-49 to 49 game. But other than that, their schedule looks pretty dang good. Again, they went on the road at Navy by 13. They beat ECU last week in a game that was 42-6 to six until garbage time. They kind of struggled a little bit against Tulsa, but still beat them by 15. Kill Texas Southern, kill Arizona, and wake up in the second half and end up winning easily against Rice. So there's a couple of nice wins on that schedule. Now, I, I certainly wouldn't call this squad battle-tested as yet, and I think that's part of the reason for my trepidation when it comes to them. But they'll get a chance next week to prove that they're legit because they have to play against South Florida in Houston on Saturday. The game's going to be at 2.30 p.m. on ABC, so this is going to be a nationally televised game, well, either on ABC or on ESPN2, depending on where you are. I imagine if you're listening to this podcast, it's going to be on ABC. But it's going to be a big national audience for Houston versus South Florida. South Florida ranks number 21 in the country right now after coming back against Tulsa earlier this week. It's going to be a crazy game, and, and this is the kind of test that I think we've been waiting for for Houston. Because even if you look at the rest of their schedule, you know, South Florida, then it's at SMU versus Temple versus Tulane at Memphis. There's not a ton of really big tests on that schedule, right? I mean, at Memphis is a tough game, but it's not a brutal game. Temple's been playing well, but not fantastic, and Tulane's very winnable, especially at home. So beating South Florida would be an opportunity to show that, hey, if we finish 11-1, and which Houston very well could, honestly, it's a, it means that you have a case to... You know, I, I don't know whether it's going to be enough to get you into the, the group of six, uh, New Year's Six Bowl, or the group of five, excuse me, New Year's Six Bowl, just because I think UCF still, you know, has a great opportunity to finish undefeated. But you're probably playing UCF in the conference title game, and ESPN's FPI gives Houston a 27% chance to win the conference. Uh, that's not bad. I mean, again, Houston's kind of flown under the radar because they haven't had a whole ton of big games as yet. But I think that we might be taking them a little bit for granted right now. They still have the best defensive player in the country in Ed Oliver. And the rest of the defense needs to step up and play at the level that we consistently see Oliver play at. But they still have Ed Oliver. They still have De'Ara King. They still have Marquez Stevenson and a whole bunch of other really talented wide receivers and running backs. There's a lot of talent on this Houston team, and I don't think that we end up talking about it enough just because I think that they kind of get lost in the shuffle, right? I mean, again, UNT has this sort of year, and so they get a lot of attention for that. Houston, every single year, they're just consistently great. They're consistently, we're going to win 8, 9, 10 games. And I don't know, because we haven't necessarily seen them tested, I don't know what the ceiling is for this Houston team. I don't quite know where it compares to other Houston teams. But it really seems like they're starting to figure things out a little bit, especially on offense. On offense, again, they rank number four nationally in total offense, and they rank number three nationally in scoring offense. And this is, these are numbers that are before this game uh, on Saturday against Navy. And those numbers will only go up after having a huge performance against Navy, um, especially with De'Ara King having a huge performance against Navy, because 
Derek King, I want to say, ranked number 14, I think, in total offense. And that was getting about 300 yards per game. And this is a 469-yard performance. Not bad for Derek King. And, and again, we need to keep an eye on him. We really need to watch him a lot closer. And I think the state of Texas needs to give Houston just a little bit more credit than what we're giving to them. Just running around some of the other games in the state, uh, UTEP actually comes really dang close to beating Louisiana Tech. It, arguably, they should have had that game. I mean, they only lose by seven points, 31-24, to 24, on the road in Ruston, Louisiana. I mean, if you had told the UTEP fan that they would only lose by seven points on the road at Louisiana Tech, which is one of the teams that beat UNT, I think that anybody would take that. And really, I think it's an indicator and it's a trend because it's not just that one. You know, they, they lose by only seven to Louisiana Tech. A week earlier, they lose by only three to UNT. A few weeks ago, they lost by seven to New Mexico State. They lost by nine to UTSA. Early in the year, and in the first three games of the year, they lost every single game by 20 or more points. Now, all of a sudden, they're starting to find some rhythm. They're starting to find some consistency. The games are ugly, let's be clear. <laughs> I mean, they don't have a beautiful offense or a beautiful defense, but they're starting to figure some things out. They're starting to figure out how to muck up games a little bit. And that's what you're hoping for if you're UTEP right now. You don't want to play pretty. You want everybody else to have to get down and play ugly and try to beat you ugly. And if you can do that, maybe you can out-ugly them. So good performance by UTEP. Eventually, th this is my bold declaration, I think that UTEP's going to win a game this year. I, I really do think that UTEP's going to find a way, manage to buckle down and win a game this year. The schedule is tough, but I do think that they managed to find one. The, the win might be against this particular team, uh, Rice. They lose 36-17 to against FIU. Look, they were without their starting quarterback, Sean Stankovich. They were without their starting running back, Emmanuel Asukpa. So in their place, uh, Evan Marshman comes into the game at quarterback, a freshman. He, he looks all right, actually, uh, especially early in the game. He finishes with 175 total yards and a pair of rushing touchdowns. But passing the ball, he just doesn't seem ready. And he wasn't supposed to play this early. You know, that was never the plan. But... He does look good. I, I think the future is interesting with him in the fold at quarterback. But against FIU, they just, after going up 7-0, FIU just took over this game. It was never close, but I'll tell you what my colleague Ishmael Johnson told me. For the first time, you know, in a little while, in a couple of weeks, Rice really looked like they deserved to be on the field with, with their opponents. And that's not nothing, especially after what happened last week when they lost 35-0 against UAB. Elsewhere in the States, ULM beat Texas State 20-14. to Texas State, now this is a really dumb story. They actually had a chance to get the ball back. It was fourth down. They're lined up. They're about to receive. And then a defensive end steps over the line, gets called for offside, automatic first down. ULM runs out the clock. Now, that's miserable. That, that's absolutely miserable. That should not happen. And, and at the same time, you know, the, the reality is Texas State probably wasn't going to be able to score another seven points. They only scored 14 points the whole game before that. But to lose a game like that, that's, that's pretty unacceptable. Now, at the same token, you're that close to making this a game, to maybe winning this game. Just if you don't go off sides, and maybe you have a shot to win this football game. But they did. And now Everett Withers' team falls once again. Uh, in a, another 
particularly unimpressive game. They're sitting at 1-6 right now. And really, ULM was probably the best opportunity for a win left on their schedule. They still play at Georgia State, so maybe that's a winnable game. Next week against New Mexico State, maybe that's a winnable game. But versus App State, at Troy, versus Arkansas State, those three aren't particularly winnable games. So I think Texas State really missed an opportunity here. And look, I think that if Everett Withers is fired at the end of the year, I think that the ending of this game is certainly going to come up. Southern Miss beat UTSA 27-17 to on Saturday. So UTSA actually decided to go with a different quarterback, Jordan Weeks, for this game. And he looked all right. Uh, he threw for 117 yards and a touchdown. But the, the score wasn't really as close as the – or the score looks closer than the game actually was. Southern Miss was up. 27-3, UTSA scores a touchdown in the third quarter, get a, gets a pick six in the fourth quarter to take it from 27-3 to 27-17. Of course, wrecking, wrecking the line, which, you know, we can get to in a minute. But, uh, you know, UTSA still can't get anything going offensively. Even with a new quarterback in the lineup, it was only 174 yards of offense against Southern Miss. And Southern Miss is a great defense, let's be clear. You know, I mean, I don't think that this is a Jordan Weeks thing. I think that this is just... UTSA's offense is not very good right now, and they're going to have to find a way to get better. Uh, SMU played against Tulane and actually pulled out a late victory. And, and who else? If I were to tell you that right now that SMU pulls out a victory based off of a fantastic play by a single player, who do you think it is? If you guess James Prochet, you're absolutely right. He takes the pass 67 yards for a touchdown late in the game, SMU goes up 27 to 23 after being down 27 to 21, and that ends up being the difference maker. Prochet finishes with six catches for 93 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Reggie Roberson also finishes with seven catches for 99 yards and a touchdown, and a big win over Tulane. You know, and, and Tulane's not a very good team, but these are the kind of games that SMU has to win. You really got to see the entire Ben Hicks experience in one game in many ways because he throws a pick six. But he also throws three touchdowns. He only completes about half of his passes. He also throws for 291 yards. Who really knows what this guy is? I mean, he's all over the place. And that's just kind of what he's been this year. You know, since Cortland Sutton and Trey Quinn are gone, you don't really know what you're going to get from Ben Hicks on any given night. But today it was enough. Now, the schedule doesn't get a whole lot easier because the next two weeks you play against Cincinnati and then you play against Houston. The good news is you get both of those games at home, but they're going to be two tough games, and really, you're just trying to compete right now. You know, it's, it's early in Sunny Dyke's development curve, but they proved uh, against Tulane that, you know, they can beat these teams because they were playing on the road. They can beat these teams, but they just have to play consistently enough to do it. And I'll tell you what, if Ben Hicks throws another pick six against Cincinnati or Houston, SMU's not going to win that football game. I'll tell you that much. We're going to finish out with Texas Tech versus Kansas. Texas Tech 48, Kansas 16. It was Texas Tech's homecoming game. And it was a return of Alan Bowman, which is really the only reason that this game kind of mattered at all. Uh, Bowman looked as good as advertised. You know, he, he looked like he didn't miss a single beat. He threw for 408 yards, three touchdowns. He did have an interception, but, you know, things happen. Yeah, Bowman, man, he, he's a really good player. He just is so good at putting the ball in a position where his receivers can make a play. And now at the same time, his receivers are insane. I, I don't even know how, 
I don't even know how they assemble all these receivers every single year because they just seem to do it every single year. Antoine Wesley and TJ Vasher, and, and Vasher was healthy. He hadn't been healthy the past couple of weeks, but he was healthy in this game, and it showed. Uh, Vasher made some big-time plays, and actually, you know, I had somebody tweet, tweet at me the Spider-Man meme, right, where the two guys are pointing at each other, and that's kind of what it looked like with TJ Vasher and Antoine Wesley because both of them are tall, lanky, and they just go up there and make plays. Wesley finished with nine catches for 155 yards and a touchdown, and Vasher was at five catches for 79 and in a touchdown of his own. So Texas Tech, I mean, this is just what they do, right? They just find quarterbacks. They just find receivers. And now they're starting to find running backs at a high level too. It's impressive. And Texas Tech, again, it was a win over Kansas. What, that doesn't really mean a whole lot. But they're at five wins. They only need one more win to get bowl eligible, which should come fairly easily. And now the bulk of the schedule still remains. At Iowa State uh, next week versus Oklahoma the week after versus Texas the week after. So we're going to learn everything we need to know about this team in the, these next three weeks. But Texas Tech is riding high. Alan Bowman is so good. I mean, it's unfair that they get him for three more years after this. But, uh, but Texas Tech is in good hands and looks ready going into a big game on the road against Iowa State and Ames. Anyway, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, again, week eight is in the books. We're starting to get a little bit of a picture of, of how things look in the conference, or excuse me, in the state right now, not in the conference. Oh, man, I'm sorry. It's 2.32 a.m. Don't, don't tell anyone that I was up this late recording this podcast, but this is what I do. I, you know, I, I grind for the brand, right? But you can find all of our work on TexasFootball.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at Shahan J. Raja. Follow us on Twitter, at DCTF. Hey, you know what? I had a pretty good week this week. Uh, I only went 5-4 and four against the spread, but that does mean that I picked more right than I did wrong. And actually, you know, even looking at the ones that I picked wrong, I don't feel that bad about picking them wrong. I kind of thought that Rice, UTSA, and UTEP were going to lose by more points, and they overperformed. I'd rather be pleasantly surprised than pleasantly unsurprised, I guess is what you'd say. UNT at UAB is definitely the one that I picked UNT to win. UAB manages to pull away at the very end. That's a disappointing result, of course, but uh, well, I'm, I, I still think I made the right pick heading into the game. So 5-4 and four on the week. Moved to 23-17 and 17 on the year. Hey, man, again, I'm not going to make you a ton of money. I'm not going to make you rich. I'm not going to do this whole you know, billion-dollar lottery ticket thing. You know, I, I'm not going to be able to do that for you. But if you want to make a little bit of money, you know, my, my picks are doing all right so far. So, anyway, thank you, everybody, for joining us. I've been Shahan J. Roger, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Like I mentioned, find all my work at texasfootball.com. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, give us a five-star review. Once again, thank you to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Folks, we will talk to you once again on Wednesday.